0: The answer.
2: Yes, indeed it is. And a good morning to you. Thank you for 10 o'clock. Thank you so much for joining us on this Wednesday, the ninth morning of the 10th month of the year of our Lord, 2019. All right, we're going to pivot away from the impeachment hoax and witch hunt. And by the way, the president is not done tweeting. I read you everything that he had tweeted uh, to this point, uh, but he was back at it uh, just moments ago, uh, uh, retweeting his son, uh, which is good, by the way, uh, because his son was right on this as well. Uh, but the president said, the do nothing, con- I'm sorry, Donald Trump Jr., the president's son, tweeted uh, moments ago, Um, hey, Adam Schiff, how can anyone be an anonymous? <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm getting a little bit off track here. I want to get to my guest, but this is this is Donald Trump Jr. retweeting Ryan Fournier saying, "Hey Adam Schiff, how can an anonymous whistleblower be receiving death threats if they're anonymous?" <laughs> so you're so used to lying, you don't even know what comes out of your mouth anymore. Um, so then he also tweeted, uh, "Did Donald Trump Jr. Uh, of course they did?" Speaking of the Ukrainian whistleblower previously working with a 2020 unnamed Democratic presidential candidate, of course they did. Honestly, at this point. Any reasonable American, even those of different political opinions, have to see this BS for what it really is, right? And the president retweeted that and then added one more. But I don't want to take any more time away from my guests. So we'll come back to the impeachment nonsense after we talk about the president's decision to pull our 50 remaining troops out of Syria. But moreover, allowing uh, President Erdogan in Turkey to invade northern Syria, putting at risk. Uh, an untold number of Kurds, many, or if not most of them Christian, who have been fighting ISIS for us for the last several years. Uh, Ryan Morrow joins us now. Ryan is uh, one of the most knowledgeable Middle East experts that I know. He's the director of the Clarion Intelligence Network, also the uh, clarionproject.org national security Advan- uh, uh, analyst, and he's also a USG consultant. And uh, Ryan Morrow, first of all, thanks for coming back on the program. It's been a while. Good to have you. How are you? can't hear Ryan. Oh, you know what? I think our phone glitched here. Uh, I'm not able to punch it up. Can we punch it up over there? Uh, Ryan, there we, are we go. There? <laughs> Sorry, my friend. Sorry, we had a it's little glitch. It's all right. right but Thanks gotcha. so
3: much for having me back.
2: You know, you were, uh, you were missed in uh, your absence. Somebody called me on last week's show and said... Bob, I, I just wanted to ask about uh, Ryan, uh, the, the guy that used to come on all the time to talk about, uh, uh, you know, the Middle East and national security. And is he okay? <laughs> people thought that maybe you had fallen ill or something of that nature. And, of course, I said, no, you're just a very busy guy who can't be on a weekly basis anymore, but that you do come on whenever the situation warrants it. So uh, just know that you are missed because people recognized you by your absence there. So that was uh, oh, it's
3: great to hear. A- I, I hope the person calling wasn't just my mother.
2: no nope 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 might have been your dad because it was it was a guy but uh no i don't think it was a family member either but uh but it is good to have you back and i meant what i said of course and that is you know we're going to bring you on whenever your schedule allows you to and particularly when we have something of uh, great importance to discuss and we do now and uh two things one of which of course is the mountain of moses which we'll talk about again in a moment uh but let's talk about the president's decision there has been um there have been com- conflicting reports, Ryan, um, about the Pentagon's feelings about what the president decided to do with respect to uh, allowing the Turks to come into northern Syria and essentially to task them with um, holding or uh, uh, dispositioning the, the thousands of ISIS fighters that have been captured. Um, some, one report says that the Pentagon was blindsided by this and perhaps not in favor of the president's call at all here. Another report disputed that wholly, and the Pentagon officials are saying this is not true. We know exactly what's going on. We were not blindsided. We were aware and are adjusting appropriately uh, and accordingly. Um, what are you hearing about this, Ryan, and what is your read on the decision, not just to pull a handful of troops we only had 50 troops there uh, from the region, but to essentially tell Turkey, okay, you're on. Uh, come on in and take this thing over.
3: But I think what you just said is the most significant part of this story because it, it's the most defenseless, which is that the White House official statement when this really pretty impulsive decision was made, because by all accounts it was right after a, one of those late-night phone calls from Erdogan, the dictator of Turkey, who's an Islamic extremist, um, who calls American presidents late at night and then things happen. We've seen this with Bush and Obama as well, and it certainly happens with Trump. But what's most defenseless is that the White House statements were basically not opposing Turkey at all. And then Trump's tweeting was praising Turkey and defending them, and then even criticizing Obama for allying with the Kurds in the first place, saying uh, this created that mess. And the reason that Turkey is acting this way is because we pushed them to do so. Now, for so long, we had said that the president needs to say radical Islam And that was kind of a proxy, our proxy way of saying, well, you need to understand the ideology. Now we're in a situation where the president will say radical Islam but does not understand the ideology because if you're going to blame the United States or even Obama for Turkey being Islamist, I mean, that's just completely wrongheaded. As for being blindsided, I do think that most officials were blindsided. I think the nuance here is that Trump has done this before. Erdogan has called him and then... Trump has either downscaled aid to the Kurds, that's happened before, and then, of course, when Mattis resigned, that was in response to Erdogan calling Trump, and then Trump making the immediate decision to go withdraw forces entirely from Syria, and then he backtracked a bit on that. So you can, if you're an official within the Pentagon and you want to defend your boss, you can make the argument, well, we weren't blindsided because Trump's been talking about doing this. And then you can also credibly say, well, we were blindsided because they didn't expect this latest round of impulsive decisions.
2: Ryan Morrow is our guest, national security analyst for the Clarion Project. Ryan, the president also wanted to address... the the allegation that he is abandoning the, abandoning the Kurds and setting them up for slaughter by the Turks, um, he said that essentially if Turkey does anything of the sort or tries anything of the sort that he will uh, personally destroy their economy. I'm going to read a couple of tweets. So many people conveniently forget that Turkey is a big trading partner of the United States. In fact, they make the structural steel frame for our F-35 fighter jet. They've also been good to deal with helping me to save many lives at Idlib Province and returning in very good health at my request, Pastor Brunson, who had many years of long prison term remaining. Also remember, and importantly, that Turkey is an important member in good standing of NATO. He is coming to the U.S., speaking of Erdogan, uh, as my guest on November 13th. End endless wars. Went on to say, And while we may be in the process of leaving Syria, we in no way are abandoning the Kurds, who are special people and wonderful fighters. Likewise, our relationship with Turkey, a NATO and trading partner, has been very good. Uh, Turkey already has a large Kurdish population and fully understands that while we had only 50 soldiers remaining in that section of Syria and they have been removed, any unforced or unnecessary fighting by Turkey will be devastating to their economy and to their fragile currency. We are helping the Kurds financially and with weapons so that's just a, a bit of what the president had to say he seems to do most of his talking by way of twitter and that was a four tweet run from uh monday uh, no i'm sorry from tuesday from yesterday What does your read on uh, on all of that
3: man that's a lot of spin i could write an article about uh, with all the things he's purposely leaving out um uh, I, I mean very clearly spinning um and pastor brunson an american pastor i mean that's the clearest spin right there he's praising turkey for letting them go, letting him go and their cooperation. Turkey made the conscious decision to imprison an American pastor on false charges. Like how can you praise like how can you praise a hostage taker for letting a hostage go and say that's a reason to trust and cooperate with him? I mean, that's essentially what you're arguing, and the president also retweeted. I
2: didn't read it that way, Ryan. Tell me. No? I mean, it, maybe I'm wrong. I, I read it as, look what I do. I have such a good relationship with them. I made them give this guy up. I made them give Pastor Brunson back. This, they did something bad, but because of me, uh, they did this. I think he's trying to take claim for, uh, credit for it himself, not praising them I for think. it. But that's how I read it, or, and that's how I heard it. Is that he's saying, "Look what I can do. I can move Turkey. I can make Erdogan do things." In other words, he's not going to he's not going to attack the Kurds, for example, because of me. He's not going to do all of these things people say because he knows that I I have some leverage over him, particularly again, you know, with the currency and so on and so forth, and with the economy. So I think he's basically saying that Brunson is free because of me. So don't think that Turkey is running rush shot over me.
3: Yeah, I, I can see that interpretation, but I would still come back and say, but they imprisoned the pastor and it took a lot of sanctions to make them release him, and they had no real interest in holding that pastor. That was just because they're theocrats and anti-American. Like They weren't really getting anything out of that, but they stuck to their guns on it, whereas the Kurds, uh, they have a vested interest in destroying the Kurds as an adversary of the Turkish government and a primary adversary of radical Islam, by the way. And I have yet to see any commentary on this on Fox or any network, mentioning this very important fact, which is that there are 100,000 Christians living in the Kurdish area, including some of which form a military unit within the Kurdish forces, that are in danger because they live right where Turkey is going to attack. And and these Christians have actually said they'll fight the Turks alongside the Kurds. Uh, So no matter how you cut this, I mean, this is a danger to persecuted Christians, and they're actually, I've yet to see a specific statement saying, Turkey should not attack the Kurds. There's these vague statements from Trump saying, like, oh, if they go too far, uh, all, all these things, I don't I don't really know what that means, especially when the official statement basically said, we're, we're going to pave the way for this to happen, and Trump was tweeting uh, or retweeting tweets that were basically critical of the Kurds. I mean, if I was Erdogan, I would interpret yeah. that as saying, oh, he agrees with me that the Kurds are terrorists and extremists and the U.S. shouldn't have ever backed them.
2: Yeah, well, you know, what's really troubling and frustrating, and I know you've tweeted about this too, Ryan, is um, the the notion, you know what, it's 1021. I apologize. Can you sit sit with me for one more segment? Sure, me Let me get a quick time out here. I want to follow up on the Kurds, and then I also want to talk about the Mount of Moses as well. Right here, Ryan Morrow, back with us after this.
0: It's the Bob France Authority, here on AM 1420, The Answer.
2: All right, 1023. Now we continue with Ryan Morrow uh, on AM 1420. The answer, uh, national security analyst with the Clarion Project and uh, with the uh, Clarion Intelligence Network. Ryan, um, I want to read a tweet here from Brett McGurk, who is a former presidential envoy. He served under Bush, Obama, and Trump. So he's got a lot of experience with a lot of people. He tweeted this on Monday. Turkey has neither the intent, desire, nor capacity to manage 60,000 detainees in their camp. Uh, And I don't know what Al Hall is. Um, Which state and DOD IGs warn is the nucleus for a resurgent ISIS. Believing otherwise is a reckless gamble with our national security. Uh, Do you agree with that?
3: Oh, yeah, for sure. And I've been really puzzled because Trump has tweeted about this over a long period of time, saying, I'm going to release the prisoners we're holding. We're not holding the prisoners, though. (laughs) Those are the Kurds, and the Kurds have openly said that their forces are stretched out because they're not like your typical military force. They're not a country their strength comes from their conviction, their pro-American alliance, and the fact they believe they're fighting for survival and and what's good for the future of the region. Uh, If you talk to Kurds, they'll express that. And so they've said, look, we're outstretched because we're largely on our own. The aid that we get from the United States is minimal. Uh, just enough to make us succeed. That there's no excess, and so the Kurds. Um, and when I say Kurds, I'm referring to the force that the Kurds lead. That actually does include Arabs and Christians. They're, they're a real model for bringing people together. And they've said if they get attacked by Turkey or any of the jihadist proxies backed by Turkey, which includes Al Qaeda elements, yes, the NATO ally backs Al Qaeda elements, and of course Hamas and the Muslim Brotherhood. That. They're not going to be able to hold those prisoners, and they're not going to be able to continue that fight against ISIS. And it was just like a week ago that U.S. special forces and these Kurdish operatives were going on joint raids together against ISIS. So when people say, oh, well, he destroyed the caliphate, well, those troops that were separating from the Kurds were just doing raids against important ISIS locations like a week ago. Uh, So, and now the question is, what does Turkey do with these prisoners? And the answer is, they probably release them, or they reintegrate them into another jihadist force, because Turkey's done that before. Former ISIS members have showed up under a different banner in order to come kill the Kurds and to kill, really, anyone that would stand in the way of Erdogan's caliphate project.
2: (laughs) Ryan, that's very interesting and very troubling, quite frankly, considering the new policy. Um, uh, briefly, um, you 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 informed me that you've got sources telling you that the Syrian uh, Muslim Brotherhood uh, is advising the State Department in this policy shift. Um, you also sent a link from the Center Security Policy, which I read, and I have great respect for them, as you know, uh, about Islamic movement leadership penetrating the Trump White House. I know that's a lot to do in just a couple of minutes here, but what can you can you can you give us a thumbnail sketch of what all that means
3: sure so basically there's a series of incidents that explain for example why we haven't designated the Muslim Brotherhood as a foreign terrorist group when pretty much all of us thought that that's what was going to happen because Trump surrounded himself with people that made that at the top of their agenda but Erdogan and then the country of Qatar uh, lobbied against it, and they won. They beat Trump's closest advisors on this. And so these incidents I'm about to list all kind of show what's going on there. And I'm sorry to say it's similar to what we've seen under Bush and Obama. Uh, So the Center for Security Policy released a report about this faith and security panel that was put together at the White House that Mike Pence even attended, and who was there? All the top Muslim Brotherhood leaders, linked to Hamas, guys from CARE, guys from Uh, Turkey-backed entities, like well-known Muslim Brotherhood guys, just like we would see in previous administrations. Um, John Rosamondo from the Investigative Project on Terrorism, and and actually another source of mine, have confirmed that uh, the Syrian Muslim Brotherhood in the United States have had high-level meetings at the State Department uh, basically every couple of weeks for years now. And while the U.S.-based Kurds who oppose them have been complaining about getting a lack of attention, just about a month ago, there was a pretty radical cleric named Hamza Yusuf who was acting as a religious advisor to an event held by the State Department. So there's clearly not an anti-jihadist vetting process, even under Mike Pompeo. Um, So that's very disturbing. Um, and, And of course... Really, the biggest issue is the fact that you have Erdogan, who's had a long business relationship with Trump, so there's some personal rapport there, acting as Trump's top advisor on Syria and other Middle Eastern issues. I mean, Trump clearly respects his input. Otherwise, he wouldn't be taking those late-night calls and making instant decisions over his closest advisors for it. And Erdogan is Muslim Brotherhood, so it's inaccurate now to say that the Muslim Brotherhood is not advising the Trump administration. If Erdogan's calling Trump and giving him advice and he's following it, then that means the Brotherhood is advising Trump.
2: Yeah, this is amazing. This is amazing and very troubling. Again, there are so many things that we have going on in this... uh in this country right now, where we need to support our president because of what awaits us on the other side, if uh, if the other side wins, uh, and and we don't need to pile on him at all, but this is a legitimate concern and it's something that we need to uh, we need people to know about and and we need quite frankly to ask questions about. I don't know if Congress can do anything. I don't know if there's anybody in DC who can reach uh, the president and 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 try to stall this kind of uh, alliance and this partnership the way that it seems to be going. But uh, it is very troubling. Ryan, we've already reached ten thirty, and I want to talk. About your movie and about um, uh, its its incredible growth, and when you and I have talked before, of course, about finding the Mountain of Moses, the real Mount Sinai in Saudi Arabia, I am hesitant to ask you for another uh, four or five minutes on the other side of the news. But can you do it? Absolutely. All right, great. I do apologize. I wanted to try to get all this in before ten thirty because your time is valuable. But I also this is important to you. Thank you. I appreciate it, and uh, this is important to you, and it's important to me too, and it should be important to anybody who is a person of faith. And we'll tell everybody what right after this. 10.37 10.37 now as we continue on AM 1420, The Answer. i got a few minutes left with Ryan Morrow, the director of the Clarion Intelligence Network, national security analyst for the Clarion Project. Uh, and we've been talking about Syria. We've been talking about Turkey. By the way, I just got an alert, Ryan Morrow, uh, that Turkey has indeed begun. Uh, the invasion and the assault is on. Um, literally, just came across my, my uh, phone from the Daily Caller reporting, I think. Um, that it's on, uh, I, I just I, I wonder what we do. I mean certainly we're not going to reverse policy, but what are we going to do if we do start seeing you know firsthand following it as it goes, watching you know the Kurds uh, you know begin to fall if that's what happens
3: oh, I mean that's what's going to happen, although the Kurds are fierce fighters, and the Turkish military uh, there's enough criticism of them that they might get bogged down, and that's kind of what I hope happens at the you know you force Erdogan yeah. to suffer a loss. Um, but th- th- make no mistake about it. When Turkey does this, it's a, an attack on the United States. That they've said that the United States, the Kurds, and Israel, and their partners are waging crusades against Turkey in the Islamic world. That's actual language mm-hmm. that comes from Erdogan and his senior-most officials, which is essentially a declaration of war. I mean, it's another way of declaring war on the United States without using the words "I declare war" because it's counterproductive. In Islamic vernacular, they declared war. <laughs>
2: Yeah, the uh, head now, he just found another headline, Turkish warplanes bomb Kurdish civilians inside wow. Turkey. So they're doing this from the air right now. Uh, oh, that says inside Turkey. that's still in turkey okay so this is in the northern syria not that it makes that much of a difference but i just want to be clear on that all right um obviously this is something to follow and to discuss as the days and weeks march on but i want to go back uh to um uh, finding the mountain of moses the real mount sinai in saudi arabia your independently produced documentary (laughs) excuse me i founding my founding uh, finding rather mount sinai in saudi arabia and i want to congratulate you to uh, congratulate you as well because you are now over 2,034,000 views of that documentary on youtube that is simply amazing and i also saw your uh notification that the film is now subtitled in 13 languages this is really spreading uh in the faith communities around the world ryan and congratulations
3: Thank you so much. I know that you knew about it before it even came out because I was texting you as I was doing those crazy trips back and forth to Saudi <laughs> Arabia. Uh, but So people understand like just how insane this is. Uh, finding the Mountain of Moses, which you can look up on YouTube, um, is basically no, had no advertising. I think I spent about $20 in advertising at one point just to kind of see how it worked, and that was my own money. I didn't have any. Uh, I just decided it wasn't worth it. And so that $2 million is just by people sharing it around, um, and us getting some press coverage. And now with Saudi Arabia opening up somewhat to tourism, uh, I, I think that we're entering a whole new era for Saudi Arabia, and really the story of whether the exodus actually happened, because there hasn't been free access to these areas where the evidence is that Moses was actually in Saudi Arabia, went from Egypt into Saudi Arabia. So the theory has only had real basic research done into it, which is why virtually nobody knows about it.
2: You know, this, uh, this video, this documentary, again, on YouTube, it's also, uh, and I just saw your other website, it's doubtingthomasresearch.com, doubtingthomasresearch.com. It's right there. You just click it to play it. It's only 25 minutes long so easily digestible in half of your lunch hour today. Pull out your phone or your tablet or eat at your desk and watch this on your computer screen, whatever you have to do, because it is simply mind-blowing. The evidence is, in my view, overwhelming that that you have indeed identified and found the real Mount Sinai. Now, my question is, what about people who aren't me? people who aren't believers, people who don't see this evidence and take it for what I believe it to be, you oh, you do have people pushing back. You do have people saying, no, this is why it's wrong. So uh, can you tell me about that, summarize that, and tell me what your responses are?
3: Yeah, I would say 90 to 95 percent of the criticism is just an appeal to credentials because I'm not a professional archaeologist, but this doesn't require me to be an archaeologist. I mean, I'm citing archaeological sources. Um, and it's just an analysis of a straightforward reading of what the exodus says happened and what might be left behind, and then matching it to the area. It's actually kind of simple. Um, it's just that we've had, for so long in our traditions, uh, the idea that Mount Sinai was actually in the Egypt-Sinai Peninsula, even though there was a, a lack of evidence that that was it which then led to the consensus that the exodus never happened. And it's been taught that way because of that incorrect identification early on. Uh, And so then you have this, what once was a, a fringe theory coming forward, and people say, oh, well, you're going against the consensus, so you can't be right because all the smart people disagree with you. But the smart people admit, oh, well, the exodus must not have happened because we went to the place that we think is the mountain, and the evidence isn't there and what we're saying is, well, maybe you were just looking in the wrong spot. Right. <laughs> <laughs> like, why Like, why is that so offensive to, to mention? Um, and uh, already there's been, like, a dozen different candidates from outside that people have put forth that have been heavily criticized, all of them disappointing. But then you go to this one scene in the film, and, and there's, like, evidence of almost every element of the Exodus story there lining up in just an incredible way. And now uh, the news I can... Break to you, and I haven't really come out with this. Is that uh, I am part of, with my friend Joel Richardson, uh, what appears to be the first officially sanctioned Christian tour in Saudi Arabia. And that does include the first official visits to the Mount Sinai area. Uh, So that's never happened in history, those two things. Uh, And very, very shortly, we're going to be doing that. And then hopefully, Uh, maybe if we pray strongly enough uh, this will become a regular thing and maybe even you, Bob, will be able to go visit Mount Sinai in Saudi Arabia, assuming this all goes well.
2: I wasn't going to bring that up. I was told we're not talking about the potential tours yet.
3: (laughs) (laughs) I thought you were leading the interview that way.
2: (laughs) No, I I wasn't going to do that to you. I I just wanted to congratulate you on the movie and talk more about, you know, because strangely enough, even though it's been several months now, and over 2 million views, uh, there's there's a lot of people who have not heard of this yet, and I just kind of wanted to tell them uh, about it again and let you talk about it again. I wasn't going to take it that direction, but uh, thank you for saying it, because that would be simply incredible if people got to. I mean, I, I just I cannot imagine what this would do for the faith of people uh, who may be already faithful, but who have questions and maybe who don't believe. in for all of the reasons, or a lot of the reasons you just talked about, where they thought the mountain was, it wasn't there, so therefore the exodus didn't happen. This would just restore so much for so many people, I think, uh, to really, you know, truly understand what, you know, as you point out in, in watch the documentary, it's just... uh, uh Evidence, piece of evidence after evidence after evidence. I mean, it's following along the scripture reading of exactly where they went, what happened at each event, and you have physical, archaeological, and geological evidence here that this is exactly what it is and where it is. And, Ryan, I I just can't tell you how exciting that is. Um, You know, this is bigger in my view. Uh, uh, than the potential discovery of Noah's Ark. And there's still, you know, debate and, uh, skeptics who, who talk about what that is at Mount Ararat, et cetera. But, but this is so huge for the people, uh, for people, you know, who, who want to believe and, uh, and who maybe don't quite understand it. And maybe even if they do, but to be able to go and, and experience it, uh, potentially as you're talking about, um, it's just an amazing thing. And I just can't congratulate you and thank you enough for, for the efforts you and Joel are putting into this.
3: Thank you. And what I, the other thing I love about it is that it's going to lead to increased interactions between Christians and Muslims in the conservative areas of Saudi Arabia. And so uh, as someone who studies extremism, I know that it's really difficult to hate someone up close, that usually when there's a force of hate, it's with people that they haven't interacted with. And so this could be a catalyst for peace. It certainly is going to undermine the radical elements that hate Jews, hate Christians within Saudi Arabia. And that's why outlets linked to the Muslim Brotherhood, the Iranian regime, and the Houthis in Yemen have all condemned what we're doing and tried to frame it as like this apocalyptic alliance between Jews and uh, Satan. And of course, I'm one of those Jewish Asians, according to the propaganda. Uh, so seeing the bad guys panic like that, Is great, and there's actually a lot of enthusiasm that we're getting within Saudi Arabia about all of this because it's part of Moses is part of the Islamic tradition, Mm -hmm. and so to have people, people's beliefs uh, that revolve around hatred of the West become challenged just by having a Western influence in there—that's really exciting too.
2: Well, that's the reason why I've been saying people of faith and not saying Jews or not saying Christians or not saying Muslims or anybody else. People of faith in, in all religions, like you said, it kind of crosses over here. And you're right. Um, uh, you know, to see that there is uh, something in common and to be able to experience this together is really an amazing thing. And I'll tell you something else, uh, right? Excuse me. rather, Excuse me. Getting over a cough. Rather than tell you something else, let me ask you something else. Why have the Saudis softened on this? When you first started this project in your first few forays to Saudi Arabia to do this research, um, you know, you point out even in the movie about the areas that are marked with signs essentially saying this is forbidden territory. You may not cross here. You may be putting your life in danger. Nobody was allowed to see this area or some of these areas. What softened to the point where not only, you know, were you able to get this access? Now there may be even the permission for tours to be held.
3: I think it's a combination of the cats out of the bag now. I mean, the video has 2 million hits, and that doesn't include all the sites that have copied it. And we put it into Arabic, and we're getting a lot of reaction within Saudi Arabia. So they're not going to be able to hide it anymore. Um, and the specific archaeological sites still have a fence around them, but you can visit the area and see the site. You know, the same thing is when you go to a museum, you can't touch the actual evidence. You'll see it through, like, a glass box. There's a fence around some of these areas, so they can still preserve it. Um, But they are preparing now to have lots of visitors, and in fact, people are already visiting it um, without resistance. And part of that, I think, is obviously the economic incentive, but also the part of the film where I'm around the split rock that Moses struck in the water came out, and what we believe is that anyway. Um, I, I talk about, and you see footage from, uh, when some hostile uh, people locally who don't like outsiders coming in start firing their guns. And shortly after my video came out, there was an incident where a local Bedouin almost killed someone that he thought was an American who visited the area. I think the bad PR from that video forced the Saudi archaeological personnel to come in because I know someone else that tried to go in and thought they were in trouble. The Saudi archaeology police were there, and the archaeology people came up to him and showed him my video and said, are you here for this? And showed him the split rock part. And my friend said, yes. And they said, welcome to Saudi Arabia. (laughs) And they let him go see it. And every person since then that has gone to go see it hasn't encountered those hostile locals anymore. So I think the government stepped in and said, it's probably a good idea to not have videos coming out about you trying to shoot at outsiders.
2: That's probably true. That's uh that's that's just fantastic. Um I want to send everybody again to the website, please. Uh it's com, and uh, you can just go to YouTube as well and search for Finding the Mountain of Moses, Mount Sinai in Saudi Arabia, Ryan Morrow, just simply an amazing 25 minutes to watch. It will uh, make you uh, it'll probably make you thirst for more. Uh you'll you're going to want to find more, you're going to want to read more. Doesn't Joel have a book about this out also?
3: Yeah, so he came out with a great book, and this is a little bit of a miracle. I'm working on this film. I didn't know that he found a way into the Mount Sinai area. He didn't know I found a way in, and we (laughs) ended up going there like within a week of each other. And I was working on a film, and he was going to work on a film, but he was also working on a book about this topic, and it's something like Mount Sinai in Arabia on Amazon, but his name's Joel Richardson. Everyone should go buy it. Um, And when my film came out, I was thinking, like, oh, we really need a book product, and – Well, Joel was working on the book. I mean, you can't you right. can't set
2: that up more perfectly. No, absolutely not. And and I only found that because I was looking for your website there, the dottingthomasresearch uh, uh, dot com. And, and when I when I searched for finding the Mountain of Moses, you know, beyond YouTube, it, it, his book came up as well. And I thought, I'll be darned, and that's your uh, your your fellow researcher and partner in this whole thing, uh, which is simply amazing. So, uh, Ryan Moro Clarion Project, thanks for the insight and the analysis on what's going on in northern Syria and in Turkey. And again, thank you for letting everybody know about the Mountain of Moses, where Mount Sinai really is. And if you dispute and doubt that, you want to be have, have it uh, proven to you, please log on. Go to YouTube and find Finding the Mountain of Moses. And uh, like I said before, you go to Doubting, Research Tom- Doubting Thomas Research, rather, DoubtingThomasResearch.com, and see it there as well. Ryan, thank you so much. It's good to have you back on the air, my friend. And hopefully we'll talk again soon. All right. Thanks, Bob. You got it. Ryan Morrow from the Clarion Project, the Clarion Intelligence Network. It's 1051. We'll get a quick time out and come back. Final segment coming up. On AM 1420, The Answer. Bob France, here on
0: AM 1420, The
2: Answer. I, uh, I've i got an email, or not an email, r- rather a tweet from Marcus in Medina that reads... At France Radio, if you do nothing else in your career on radio besides airing the segment this a.m. about the Option Line organization and allowing your listeners to hear the young woman's story, you will be a tremendous success. Thanks to you and Option Line for sharing her story. Marcus, I've got news. Um, it's not just her story. There are so many women whose stories uh, need to be told so that other women can be empowered and understand that abortion is not their only option. And in fact, abortion should not be an option because so many other options do exist. That's what Heartbeat International and the Option Line are all about. Their life-saving mission is to reach and and rescue as many lives as possible around the world. So, And they do that through an effective network of life-affirming pregnancy help to renew communities for life. They reach out to abortion-vulnerable women through Option Line's 24-hour call center. And cutting-edge website optionline.org. Reach down your hand from on high and deliver me. Read Psalm 144:7. And guess what? That is what they do. And I told you the story of the last hour of uh, of um, uh, one particular vulnerable woman. Here's another one. Mary's story. Uh, do you know about the safe haven law in our state? To give a mother or father every opportunity to choose life for their baby, safe haven laws allow a birth parent to place their newborn child into the hands of a first responder at any medical or any medical provider or law enforcement agency in the state of Arkansas. Mary is from Arkansas. Option Line, a 24-7 pregnancy helpline run by Heartbeat International answers 1,100 calls a day, including calls through the National Safe Haven Alliance. So Mary called the Option Line from a hospital labor and delivery unit. She had just given birth to a baby girl, but the reality of her own drug addiction and the chaotic life that she had settled in even as she held her newborn child. She wanted what was best for the baby, but she knew she was not in any place in her own life to care for herself and her daughter. So she talked to Option Line's professionally trained, compassionate consultant, and Mary asked through her tears, what could she do? Option lines consultant told her she could make the courageous choice to place that beautiful child into the arms of her labor and delivery nurse. And that's exactly what Mary did. And in a follow-up conversation, she called to tell OptionLine that she was on the road to recovery and that her daughter, praise God, had been adopted into a loving home just days after she had entered the world. There are so many points on a woman's journey to motherhood, and at every point, Option Line is there to talk with her. What we are here to do all month long is to tell you how you can help Option Line. Because guess what? The government only funds pregnancy centers that kill babies, like Planned Parenthood. They don't fund. Heartbeat International and Option Line, which are trying to save babies. So it's our job to fund them, because that's, sh- that's what we do. And right now, if you can make a donation by clicking the option line website, or a banner, rather, at our website, whkradio.com, and make a donation, you can help save lives. A donation of $75 allows the call center to take calls for one hour. 150 would get you two hours, $450 donation, four hours a day. They can take calls from vulnerable women and save lives. If you have the means to donate $1,800, you can sponsor a full day of calls to the Heartbeat International Option Line. Go to the website, donate what you can at whkradio.com. Click on the option line banner at the top and please help save lives. And that's going to be my last message to you on this Wednesday. Stay where you are. Mike Gallagher is coming up next on AM 1420, The Answer. And we'll see you tomorrow.
1: Enjoy the silence.